Hey team, we're back uh, to kick off our third episode of Shift Notes uh, here with me today. Obviously, we've got Laurie here in Auckland. I'm in Auckland myself. And we also have G uh, up in Queensland. Um, and we also have a very special guest, um, somebody who's probably got more, he's a bit of a bartending icon in New Zealand. He's got more experience than pretty much all of us put together. Um, welcome, Jason Clark. Good morning. Ooh, I feel like Applause after that. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys! Wow, uh, as I say, so good to see all your faces, and um, yeah, thanks so much for, for having me. Really looking forward to having a good catch up and and uh, talking all things behind the bar. I guess awesome choice. So our focus with Shift Notes is to call upon people who we look up and up to in the industry, not just ourselves, but people around us, uh, people who offer another perspective of the service industry. Uh, who've ha- really helped to drive what the culture is in New Zealand and globally. So naturally, obviously, JC, you fit in quite well here. Um, we believe you kind of embody that enthusiasm behind passing on knowledge uh, through connection, through style and, and through understanding. Uh, you have experience around the world. Uh, you've always stayed true to your roots, as, as we've all seen when we've worked with you. Uh, and your success in the industry kind of bleeds this determination of hard work. So uh, we naturally, we thought that you were the perfect person to kind of jump in on our third episode. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, thanks, man. It, no, it <laughs> means a lot. And uh, yeah, I mean, living and breathing this industry um, well for 23 years now. So um, I'm very, very proud that my all my roots and it all began in New Zealand. Um very, you know, in a way, I'm very sad that I'm not over there, you know, now contributing to the scene. But um, hopefully, we can fix that in the future. Ooh, yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, we're we're super stoked to have you on here, um, especially because I feel like there's a lot of bartenders in New Zealand who have no idea where and how far you can go in hospitality. So I think it'll be really cool for a lot of the young up and coming, you know, people working through hospitality to hear about, you know, a little bit about your story. And then also on top of that, like just see where you are now, what you're doing, because you've done a lot. You're, you know, you're global uh, ambassador, you've written books now. So there's just been a lot going on. So yeah, we're super excited. And um, yeah, can't wait to ask some questions. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, sorry, just uh, a little bit for me as well. Like, um, I was quite lucky to be sort of like working in the same city as you, mate, and even uh, seeing you show your style at Hummingbird was uh, was breathtaking. It was also a bit of an inspiration for me as well. And uh, yeah, like uh, like Laurie and Mikey, pretty excited to kind of see what, see what you've done and how you got to where you are. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I, I guess like we've all seen you in different ways. Obviously, myself and you have worked uh, together quite a bit, but you know, Laurie's obviously worked in the place that we kind of set up and, and everybody's seen a, a different side of JC, which is really quite cool. Um, so roll into a bit of an introduction. Um, man, you've had a pretty incredible career. Uh, we've, we've seen bits and bobs of it, um, but yeah, you've worked your way from bartender all the way to a global BA. Uh, where was your first ever hospo job? Where did, it, where did it all start? Wow. Yeah, as I say, um, 23 years ago, um, I've got fond memories. I, I think I'd I left school when I was seventeen. Um, school wasn't working out too well for me, um, and the first job I got was as a glassy. Um, this is in, in my hometown of Taronga, and there's this. It's not there anymore. But there was this huge party bar 
called the Grumpy Mole Saloon. <laughs> yes. It's a bit like, I think, um, the Fat Lady's Arms or the Outback or, um, and it, it was just party central. We're not, uh, the drinking age was, I think it was 20 back then or was it 21? I can't remember. But I was 17, okay. so I was underage, working in this crazy party vibe, um, picking up glasses. And I used to love it because... I'd just be weaving through the crowd, picking up glasses in amongst all the action. Um, and I used to pick up money. I used to, you know, try and hit on girls. And um, it was just a really cool environment for me as a, as a young 17-year-old um, being introduced to the industry. And um, I worked really, really hard. I was I think I was one of the first people in the company to get a pay rise because I was you know, so into it. And, um, yeah, it was a great sort of uh, intro into hospitality. Awesome. Nice. I love that. I yeah. feel like that's inspirational because if anyone is working at, like, a really, like, I don't know, massive dive bar right now, you you know, you could go places. <laughs> JC, my first bar ever was the Grumpy Mole Saloon in Christchurch. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was that's hilarious that's the yeah that's, I hated it. that's amazing it's, it's, a breeding, it's a breeding ground for superstars obviously yeah yeah it clearly is <laughs> um, great superstars there with us yeah. <laughs> i was um it was yeah it was it was crazy i was i think i did about two and a half years there um i started working other jobs in the week um i guess the real big start for me was um, when I was 20, I moved to the, to London or to the UK and I got a job at TGI Fridays and TGI's nowadays is, you know, it's pretty tacky. It's sort of Planet Hollywood, Hard Rock Cafe style. Um, but back in the day, these guys were, were real innovators. Um, they really, they were one of, back, they opened in the 1950s in the US and they were a big, um, they got quite famous because they did all these crazy colorful cocktails. Um, the bartenders had a really extensive training to be entertainers. Um, it's a lot of the flair scene came out of there. They, they trained bartenders to flair. They used to wear colorful uniforms, crazy hats, um, suspenders with, with pin badges on that you would earn through your training. And um, they also were one of the, they were real, early at bringing women into bars and making happy hours for, for women and getting, getting, I guess, females into partying and, and drinking in bars. And it created this real buzz in, in the US and it helped them, you know, create a chain all around the world. So when I started with them in the UK, uh, the, one, the one that I was um, employed at was, was really struggling. So they were trying to bring in new talent and they brought um, what they call certified bartenders from all around the UK to train up the new recruits. So I had some of their most experienced bartenders who were like, um, you know, some of the top flairers in the country, some of the best sort of winning competitions come in and give me really extensive training. And that's where I really got hooked into hospitality and, and saw it as a career and, and fell in love with it. That's amazing, man. Yeah, that's a, it's a, it's a nice little turning point. Um, was there sort of like a point where you decided that hospital, like, would that be where you decided your hospitality would be your career? Not quite. Um, 
I mean, I, I, I got really into it. So I got really into the flair side. I really liked the the speed and the, the like the difficulty of learning all these flair moves and learning working flair. And so I was, I was enjoying that. I, where I really got hooked into the industry is after a few years in the UK, I was sort of over it, went back to New Zealand. Um, I drove down to Wanaka um, and I got a job. I was there doing an outdoor education course and I got a job in a really cool um, cocktail bar nightclub. And um, I was looking over the lake in Wanaka. Um, my, the, the boss was... Uh, the owner was a really cool guy. Um, I remember he had his 40th birthday and he had this team of wicked bartenders serving free drinks to all his mates. And we had this, this epic party in Queenstown. And I realized, man, this is, I want to be this guy when I'm that age. This is such a cool lifestyle. Um, you know, having this beautiful cocktail bar, top DJs coming through. We had the likes of um, Shapeshifter coming through when they were in their early stages and, um, it was just such a cool scene. I was like, this doesn't need to be part-time. This can be, this can be a career. That's awesome. awesome. That's really cool. Um, so you've obviously had a really like varied career where you've, you know, run bars, you know, working the global ambassador and a team for Diageo and you've written books. So you've done a lot. You've done a lot of global comps as well. Um, would there be like a specific moment that you could say that you were most proud of in your career so far? Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a tough one. I mean, I, 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 I love hospitality and that's what got me into it was the, um, hosting, entertaining, putting on a show and, and, and my philosophy was, has always been to, to make people happy, make them walk away, blown away. Um, so when I was in 2007, when I was 26, um, I opened a bar I actually purchased an old bar in Queenstown. Um, I guess it was after that time of Wanaka and I'd made that decision. I went back to the UK, uh, worked really hard, saved money and brought it back to New Zealand. I went back to Wanaka looking to, to set up a bar and um, there was nothing, not the right opportunity uh, Opportunity there. I went to Queenstown, found this place that was about to close, um, pitched for investment got a guy on side and we, we brought this bar for really cheap. Um, we spent a hundred grand doing it up and we opened. And so I got to open my first bar at, at 26 and then try to deliver my philosophies around hospi- hospitality of, of entertaining and making people happy. And that, I guess that's probably the proudest moment. Um, you know, world-class wins have definitely changed my life. Um, so did writing a book, um, pretty big moments, but yeah, um, opening that bar, getting my shit together and, and managing to open that was, was an incredible yeah, moment I'll never forget. Cool. Yeah. There's, there's definitely like a lot of hard work that's got into that. Hey mate. That was yeah, a spot it was, too. Was, was a lot of hard work. I, I made a lot of mistakes with it. Um, not necessarily regrets. I had the absolute best time of my life, but I probably could have done a few things a lot better, but it was the first one and I, I learned a lot from that. Um, so yeah, it was, it was just, it was an amazing experience. And I guess hopefully I'm, I thought I'd go back and, uh, and have ownership again by now, which, which I haven't, haven't done yet, but um, hopefully that's, that's coming up 
uh, in the not too distant future, I guess. Yeah, Actually, a quick one on that is that where you met your wife. It is, yeah, yeah. Um, was she not a DJ? Yeah, well, we met her in uh, the bunker, which is still there in Queenstown now. Um, properly, officially met her, hooked up with her, <laughs> and um, then I got her DJing at the bar. Um, gave her a trial, and if she succeeded, then she'd she'd get to stay on. And um, yeah, she nailed it. And we lived happily ever after, I guess. <laughs> Amazing. Classic. Amazing. Hospital love story. Love it. <laughs> um, so, for those that don't know your official job title, um, it is global brand ambassador for Talisker Scotch. Um, not quite. I'm, I'm the, the GB ambassador, um, so here in the UK, so I cover all, all of the UK. Um, there isn't an official GB Talisker ambassador, so I get called on a lot, but my base is here, my team's here, my budgets are all here, um, but I'm often called out to do, not at the moment with COVID, but um, international visits and, and traveling to key markets. Um, to, to do Talisker events, yeah. So officially I'm the GB ambassador, but um, I sort of step into a global role whenever I'm needed to, yeah. Yeah, right. Okay, cool. Amazing. Just wanted to clear that up. Um, and like, as you was kind of saying, you've kind of branched through ownership, but also working in bars and you've done a bit of writing now. Like, uh, what sort of steps did you kind of take to where you are now? Like, was there anything in particular that you that stood out for you that you'd kind of like pass on to, um, to someone? Yeah. Um, I mean, it all goes back to, you know, those early years when I got hooked on the industry, I really put in the hard work. I was reading books. I was trying to learn off people around me. I was going to bars like a nerd sitting there, you know, uh, watching, talking, learning, speaking to the bartenders um, and always trying to grow. You know, even um, I feel like I'm still learning heaps every day today. It's all about pushing yourself to learn. Um, and um, so you've got to be committed and dedicated to it. So that's one thing for sure. And then um, competitions, you know, really, really did help me progress. It, not only as there's all the perks of competitions and winning competitions, but just going through the motions, you know, it's been set a challenge, designing a drink to fit that challenge. It ticks all the boxes for the judges. Um, and then being able to deliver that in a really impactful way. It really, um, it, it's a lot of self-improvement, you know, public speaking, communicating, creating those wow moments for judges really progressed me as a bartender. So every every competition I did, and some people aren't, aren't made for competitions or maybe don't like that style of bartending, but even if you, even if you don't enter, but you set yourself a challenge and, and try to better yourself. It just meant after doing a competition when I'm in the bar, but the way I connect with my guests and, and present drinks just really, really improved. And with that, I guess you start building, uh, people start to notice, um, yeah. you get more attention and that opens up more opportunities. So you get hired for public gigs and, um, 
pick for brand when brands need um, staff to activate their brands they pick you up and that can lead to work and for me I've always as I say, I've loved being a bartender but I wanted to get into that that ambassador side of things if, if not owning a bar then I think brand ambassador was a, was a great role for me I got to I get to do what I love without doing such crazy hours um, I get a, a lot of resources that I wouldn't get in a bar um, and yeah I get to travel the world and share my experience and my my knowledge of these brands and stuff with passionate bartenders around the world so um, yeah I mean it's dedication commitment um, giving it everything and, and um, progress you know just continuing to learn and then try and give it back you know even if it, even if it means working certain things for free for brands or you know you want to stand out to those those brands so that they fall in love with you and they pick you they see you as a great you know advocate for their brand that's that's how I developed my career yeah awesome yeah, that's totally I love that I love um, the whole thing about like how competitions push you to become better in like a short space of time and I think the showmanship that you've developed really kind of has uh, is really clear in your style of bartending because especially like coming to work at Bedford and seeing all the drinks you had put together and that legacy you left like this all about the show for for a lot of it so that was that was something I think that you did that was really cool for New Zealand hospitality is bring you know a little bit of showmanship to the to the national scene here um but the that kind of leads me into a question about competitions so uh, I think a lot of people, like you say, you know, might not be the biggest fans of competitions or they might find it, you know, like not their style. Um, and it's definitely not an easy thing to compete. I think everyone in this chat has done their own competitions and it's it's nerve wracking. Um, but what I guess I want to find out from you is what do you like, what have been the biggest challenges you face while competing? Um, and maybe what would you say to a young bartender who's looking to compete for the first time? Yeah, good, good questions. Um, Biggest hurdle with competitions is generally yourself. It's, um, you know, being prepared is so important. If you want to do well, you need to put in the work. Um, you know, it's very rare that just freestyling it is going to um, bring you the, the results you want. Um, we all sort of work and learn differently and learn to present differently. Like I'm not, I can't um, remember a script from start to finish, but um, if I've got the structure there um, and the flow and I've practiced uh, enough, then it comes, um, it rolls off the tongue a lot more naturally and you just look so much more confident um, and prepared and it, it shows. And particularly now, you know, I've been to um, world-class, I've been to all the world-class competitions for like the last seven years, I think and um, six years, and um, the level is so high now. The, the presenting level is so high, so you've got to put the work in. Yes, first and foremost on the drink, make sure you make an epic drink, um, test it out on people, get their feedback, uh, make sure it's ticking all the boxes on the judge's criteria. Um, I'm a huge fan with my drinks of making making them, you know, that you talk about that theatrical side and that, that's um, 
I mean, trends change and whatnot, and, and some, you know, we're going in this real sort of minimalist, um, simplistic side at the moment. But previously, I was really all about making a, a, a really a drink that sounds amazing on paper, it looks beautiful, gives you that wow factor, and and hits your audience. You know, at Bedford, it was it wasn't my ideal necessarily my ideal bar. I might have, you know, my dream bar is probably to work in something like um, Hawthorne, um, where G was, or in one of these classic bars. But I knew I worked out my audience there at Bedford, and I delivered. I gave them what they wanted and what was going to work for them, not what was good for me and, and my ego. So I've, I've sort of lost track a bit of this <laughs> this question, but um, yeah, being being yourself um, and and being prepared. And working hard is, is what's going to help you succeed rather than just trying to freestyle it. You've, you've got to put the work in. I think something else quite cool to add there is probably like one thing that a lot of people, because often we know who the judges are these days, you know, it, it's kind of specifically with something like world class is if you're doing days and days of something, it, it's get to know your judges and understand how they read things. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I just have a really quick question as well, because there might be some people on here who listen, who have no idea what world class is like in a couple of sentences. Can you tell us what world class is to any viewers yeah. who may not know? <laughs> So um, world-class, for me, I, I, the easiest way to describe it is it's the Olympics of bartending. It's not just a cocktail competition um, because so um, around 50 to 60 different countries around the world will enter. Um, there'll be a rigorous um, selection process, which is around, there'll be multiple different challenges testing you in different ways. It's not just make one delicious, amazing drink presenter. You know, there'll be speed rounds. <clears throat> there'll be sustainability um, elements. There'll be, you know, um, mystery challenges. There's a, a, a wide array of challenges that, that test all of your bartending abilities to find the best bartender in that country. And then they go to the, the global final um, where you have, they'll bring together around a thousand people from the industry, um, legends from all around the world, Dale DeGroff, Salvatore Calabresi, um, but more relevant, uh, I guess more, more modern, younger bartenders as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an incredible platform to get involved with just through the, the people you meet, the connections you make, but um, it's a, the, the learning process you go through it, it, um, competing as well is really incredible. Um, it was postponed this year, because of COVID, um, it's due to be in Sydney in 2021. Uh, so we're really hoping New Zealand will, will, will be participating this year because it really is an incredible competition and I, I recommend it, can't recommend it enough. Awesome. Do you, do you think, JC, that you may have been, like with World Class, obviously you, you won the New Zealand League twice. Uh, and you saw two very different competitions. I think I, I, I was there for the first one, and I think I kind of saw you afterwards for the second one. Do you mm. think, obviously, New Zealand being small and there's the underdog story, but do you think you were potentially at a disadvantage as well? Do you think there's sometimes a, a crazy thing going on there from being from small town? Yeah, um, well, I originally I thought that with the when I got to the global final, I sort of thought that because... Nobody know, knew who I was from little old New Zealand. Some people didn't even know where New Zealand was. Um, awesome. 
a lot of people are sort of schmoozing and getting together and in their groups. And I felt like a bit of a lone wolf in a way. Um, but that helped me to a certain degree because I just put my head down and, and I could have taken it two ways. I could have tried to spend my time schmoozing in and, and making friends, but I decided to focus on, on the competition. I did that and uh, I started smashing it out. And I, I got, they do these from 45, they cut down to the top 16. And I, I made that cut, which was amazing. Then all of a sudden people know who you are. And then from the top 16, it went to top eight. And I made that cut as well. And um, it, so it, it, by then it didn't feel like a disadvantage. I felt like I'd sort of come under the radar and, and done really well. And I finished fourth overall, um, which I was a little bit disappointed in the end. But, uh, you know, from overall, you know, it was an incredible achievement. Um, I think there is certainly disadvantages with New Zealand being so isolated from the general bar community. You know, you look at world's 50 best bars, um, you know, and in Europe, there's a lot of um, intercity guest shifts and visits and seminars and, um, you know, trade shows where where the community are really coming together. And because New Zealand is so isolated, it definitely does miss out on a lot of that. It doesn't get the spotlight, perhaps that it deserves. Um, Because people just don't get down there and get to experience it. So uh, from a competition point of view, I'd say no, there's no disadvantage. Just you can use it as your advantage and go out there and kick ass. And there's plenty of other bartenders beside me that have done really well in in competitions as well. So I think we've proven that. um, The level is is really high in New Zealand. Um, But I think bartenders in New Zealand need to work harder because you're not getting the global um, connectivity. So just in general, I think, I think New Zealand yeah, it needs to work harder to just keep up now with the top guys. Yeah, for sure. Perfect. Cool. I mean, well, so, so our next little, next little question um, is for advice for people in the industry, um, not necessarily people who are looking to definitely change from um, from bartending or being in service into like a brand role or writing for instance, but, but kind of maybe, maybe some tips on if somebody was to do that down the line. Um, it, do you have any tips that kind of maybe would help somebody understand how they could look at something like that? Yeah. I mean, um, different for the different elements, I guess, um, with the, the book, um, got a book down here somewhere, I think. Um, my suggestion there is you've got to be committed. It's it's a it's a tough thing to do. That's my book there for anyone who hasn't seen it. Nice yeah. plug. <laughs> you can get this book on Amazon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sexy cocktails in there. Um, the process with that was no one's going to do it for you. No one's going to help you out in a way. You need to put in the hard work. So I, I just started writing and writing and writing and writing. I just forced myself to, to come home, sit in front of the, the, the computer and start writing. And I basically built the book 90% to 90% completion um, and then started to pitch it out from there. So I was doing all the text. I started going into the bar, you know, testing. I had a lot of drinks already up here and, and my notebook. 
then I started developing drinks um, in the bar that I had access to. And sometimes I'd be writing and I'd go, oh, that's, that sounds like a good idea. I'll go down to the kitchen, whip out a drink and go, boom, yep, that's going in the book. Or it was, a, it was definitely a, a rolling process, but you just got to get stuck into it and start developing it. Um, I had an extensive library of books. I started looking at different books and looking at the, the format and the structure and, you know, okay, we've got an introduction page, we've got contents, we've got um, about the book. And I, I just used that as a model and I just started filling all those pages out. And when I had it 60% done, I, I paid for my own money to get a photographer to come in and shoot, um, do a day's shoot. We got six drinks done and they were, they came out incredible. And I was like, wow. So I put together a presentation pack and then I said, I'm going to get, I'm going to do all of these drinks. So I, I went into my savings um, and I paid this guy. I got a young up and coming photographer. So he was really cheap. It was a good opportunity for him. He got some good pocket money. And every weekend we'd take a full day and smash out a, a shoot. And we just created so much quality content that um, I could then target all these different publishers. And once the hard thing is getting them to even open that email, you know, they just get so many people they turn away. And they turn, I got turned away by about 80 different publishers. But finally I harassed one of them in particular so much that they, they opened this PDF that was a, a demo of the book, saw the, the quality of the content, and um, before I knew it, it was all coming together. And I, um, I then got paid a big lump sum up up front, which covered all my photography and and more, and um, started putting target dates down and and got the project across the line. So, long story short, don't don't wait. Just get stuck into it and and make these things happen. It was the same for when I opened the bar when I was twenty six. You know, we can all have dreams of opening a bar, but it's only you, you're the one that needs to make it happen. So start on a business plan, start on um, a, a presentation of, of images, of a portfolio of your work, start building stuff onto paper so that when it comes time, you're going to need to find money at some point. How are you going to pitch for money? You need to have a professional presentation. Um, it's, and it's the same for if you wanted to almost apply for a BA job. Don't just... When a, when a role comes up, you want to be ready for it. Don't, and don't just send them in an, you know, an A4 sheet of paper with your CV. Create something really cool that showcases your work. It might have pictures from you know, highlights of your career, some of your favorite drinks. You want to be able to sell yourself, um, whether, to, whether it's to a, you know, a, a brand team, whether it's to an investor for a bar, whether it's to a publisher. You've got to promote and, and be able to promote yourself. So, you know, put the work in, whether it's building that book, building your CV, or building a business plan. Start, you know, if, even if it's a five-year goal, start building those tools together now so you can, when the time comes, you can slap it down and go, I'm, I'm the man for the job. Pick me. Awesome, man. Yeah, we're well, awesome. Perseverance, yes. right? Yeah, that's, that's a good yeah, piece of just, advice as well. Yeah, just gotta. You can't just sit back and wait for it. Only you know, no one's just gonna come into your bar one day and go, 
oh, wow, I really love your cocktails. Do you want, a, do you want 200 grand to open a bar? You know, it's, you know, very, very, very rare. rarely happens. <laughs> to, you've got to make shit happen yourself. If, you, if it's your dream, then put the work in and, and you can make it happen. That's kind of like our podcast. None of us have any experience. And we're like, let's just try this. <laughs> let's see what happens. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so it kind of leads off into this. A really great piece of advice. I love that to just like get out there, do stuff, um, get involved in whatever events you can. Um, the the kind of question I wanted to lead into now is because you're, you know, you've come, you've worked here in New Zealand, you've worked over in London, you've worked or kind of, you know, in, around the world really now. Um, how is New Zealand hospitality portrayed around the world? Like how do people feel about the New Zealand bartending scene here? Um, and how are New Zealand bartenders considered over overseas? Yeah, good one. Um, I think it's often not even on the radar. It's off, it doesn't stand out. You know, when people are thinking internationally, they're often thinking about Sydney, Singapore, Hong Kong, um, London, New York, of course, um, and oft, and New Zealand often isn't even brought up in the, in the conversation, sadly, and that's understandable. I mean, just look at the US. You don't instantly think of Los Angeles or Chicago or there's a lot of great cities in the US that don't even come up on the radar. It's a very, the, you know, the top of the pyramid is very small, and I think New Zealand doesn't often get get on to that. However, you know, there's been a lot of great successes in, in the New Zealand um, industry, you know, um, everyone in the room, you know, essentially have, have made, made a mark internationally. Um, you know, there's great ambassadors like Dickie, Jacob Breyers. So we, we are, the industry is respected when it, when it comes up, but, um, it's. It, I feel like it, yeah, it's, it's, it is quite off the radar and doesn't get maybe the spotlight it deserves or maybe the scene needs to try and do more to, to put itself on the map perhaps. In New Zealand, we're very laid back, often don't like to show off. Uh, a lot of other countries are probably a bit, bit better at that. We don't like to, you know, and, and being humble does... Does you know it's worked? I think it's worked well for me over, over the years. I let my drinks do the talking and that. But in today's competitive market, you know everything's on show, and I think the New Zealand scene should work harder to showcase how amazing it is because it, it really is at a very very high standard. Yeah. yeah, I definitely agree. There's a lot of undercover, you know, I think there's a lot of Kiwis who are doing amazing things, but, you know, maybe it's a little bit less well known how many great bartenders have made it from here to amazing, incredible global roles. Um, you did allude to it a little bit earlier, but you kind of hinted at potentially returning to New Zealand. Any kind of hints or clues or, um, I guess, teasers of when we might be able to expect you back here? <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, the, the, the big game plan is to get back there eventually. I just don't know when that'll be at the moment. Um, I love my job here at the moment. Um, well, I, I'm, I don't want to, this might sound bad, but I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of 
like the lifestyle in England. Uh, I mean, I'm, uh, I guess most people understand that, but the lifestyle of New Zealand is amazing and I would love to be back there. But the opportunity with my within the industry here and, and my career role is amazing and I, and I love my job. So I want to stick that out for a bit longer. Actually, pre-COVID, I was actually in the process. I'd, I've created a, and designed a bar um, and I was pitching for investment. Um and I think it's a killer concept for a restaurant bar that um, I wanted to go big. Um, and it was sort of like the culmination of all my experience coming together and being put into one place. Um, so that was the big plan was to get this open while still working for, for Talisker. Um, COVID has completely screwed that up. Um, it doesn't feel like a appropriate time to be asking for money or, the, the, it's so insecure, the, the market at the moment and, and the industry. So I've just had to shelve that. Um, whether I can do that here in the future or whether I save that for New Zealand, um, you know, I'll probably have to check with the wife, but, you know, if I've got the right opportunity or offer in New Zealand, I could probably leave next week if, if, if a killer offer came. <laughs> but, do, you know um, think, do you not think London's grown on you a little bit? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things I do love about it um, and I love the industry and that. I, what I miss is probably the outdoors and um, my the, the space and getting out. Things, you know, COVID, the busyness and going on the tube now and thinking about public transport and dealing with you know, a pandemic and stuff certainly hasn't helped. New Zealand being much, I'm really liking the way the country's being run at the moment and how it's dealt with all of this situation compared with here. Uh, there's pros and cons to both sides. Once again, long story short, can't wait to, to get back to New Zealand eventually, but I am yeah, loving the industry and loving my job here at the moment. So yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll happen. It shows as well, bro. It, it looks amazing. You're killing it. <laughs> it's really cool to see that from the other side of the world too. Yeah. Thanks, man. No, it's, uh, and I, I proudly, you know, I'm, a, I'm definitely a proud Kiwi and I get shit for my accent quite regularly. Um, but uh, in, a, in a good way. But, um, you know, I'm very proud of my roots, where I came from. And, and um, you know, I, I would do as much as I can to help put New Zealand um, in people's line of sight because it is an incredible industry out there yeah yeah no it uh yeah new zealand hospitality definitely appreciates it and uh sees the love that you give us as well man we uh we thoroughly appreciate it um you kind of yeah you touched about COVID and obviously what's been happening this year has kind of put a downer on a few people's plans like yourselves and um obviously a lot of businesses are having to close up again um from your point of view, like from working from a big uh, sort of liquor, the, the liquor side of the industry, um, how have you seen the sort of industry evolve through the time of the pandemic? Like, has it been something that in a way people have been prepared for or is this some stuff that you've seen that kind of like surprised you? Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty scary, to be honest. Um, it's, we still haven't recovered from it here. Um, Bars are only just just opening a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
a lot of bars are still closed. They don't want to risk it and open yet. There's social distancing. Um, no, I think it was a, a massive shock. Nobody was ready for it. Um, I'm really concerned for a lot of a lot of bartenders. The government. The one thing the government's done really well here has been the furlough process. They've, um, you know, they, they, they're paying 80 percent of people's wages, um, and some venues might be able to pay it, uh, boost that up to the hundred percent. But I'm certainly very glad I, that I don't have a bar in this um, market at the moment. It's it's bloody scary. Um, some of them have done some really clever innovations and, and worked around it, you know, uh, bottled cocktails, um, delivery services, um, dinner packs where you can, you know, some of your favorite restaurants, you can order up and get all the ingredients from their suppliers for to make an amazing burger. And it comes with, you know, hot sauces and beers and instruction videos and stuff. So there's been some really great innovation. And I think a lot of places and a lot of people will learn and take a lot of positive things from this. But overall, it's it's just a massive kick in the nuts and um, for the yeah. industry. And it is terrifying. Yeah, mm. I feel I feel like on our side, although it was quite short lived, a lot of a lot of specifically restaurants had to kind of almost redevelop their businesses specifically for for two weeks of potential trade just so that they could pay pay their rents and stuff. And I think we still haven't seen the full, full brunt of what's happened over here because there's still subsidies and that kind of thing. But yeah, mm. it, it's all, it's all pretty daunting. There's, there's still a lot, lot of backlash. I mean, there's a lot of people have, have lost their jobs. Mm. Um, and what do you do? Like if, if you've lost your job and this sort of, the only jobs that are going are stacking supermarket shelves and, um, you know, it, it's tough even in um, a lot of, I was really lucky, Diageo have been incredible and it's a big corporate company. They've got their, um, their pros and cons, um, but overall, I, I love working for them. They've been really supportive. They've kept us working through the whole time and we've used this time really proactively to do what we can to support people in the account with trainings, with tastings, with digital content, with planning for the future. Um, lots of people have gone on furlough, lots of people have been laid off and, um, you know, there will be, a, we're not going to go back to working the same way for the industry and, and for brands. Um, things are definitely going to adapt and change and is it, we call it the new, new world of working. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Cool. So we're going to switch it up a little bit. Um, chat a little bit about training because obviously uh, you as yourself, you've done a lot of training with, well, with myself, but also throughout the industry. Um, so a few things like understanding, obviously, as, as your job is often a lot of training, how, how do you often cater the material to your crowd? Um, obviously, that's the key part, but how do you incorporate the brand and then, and then the JC style? Um, you know, what are, the, what are the, some of the things that you've done to kind of really give the brand some JC? Oh, good question, and thanks for changing the topic too. It's quite morbid that subject at the moment. I I love training. I love um, being able to share experience, knowledge, resources with other bartenders and helping them develop. It's I guess for me where my uh, role in the industry was about sharing with guests 
and the community um, has, has evolved now to me sharing with bartenders. And I want to, you know, help and support as much as I can. Um, and consumers as well, do consumer events uh, and things. But for me, I, I particularly love supporting the trade. Um, it's really important to know who you're training, um, the level of their experience. You know, sometimes you've got to break down and tell them exactly, if I'm talking about whiskey, you know, the production process and, and really break it down. But sometimes they can be so uh, unexperienced that, you can't go too nerdy and, and you can go over their head and, and you've got to try and keep them um, engaged. You know, knowing your, your room is, is definitely important. Um, one thing I've learned is, is you want to start a training with your key points. Who's, who's your audience? What do you want them to walk away with? Um, I've got, I developed like a 40-page Talisker training deck um which just covers everything but what i use that as a template and sometimes i don't use it at all but sometimes i'll i'll trim out 30 pages from that just to focus on 10 pages that that give those key points i want sometimes i'll do the full two and a half hour deep spiel um but i don't want people falling asleep you know i don't want um you want people to be engaged and, and excited so so yeah, um, it's it's knowing them, and then in terms of content, just trying to keep it interesting. You know, I, I, so recently I developed a program here called the Wild Spirit Tour, um, which was uh, I, I flew up to the Isle of Skye, picked up a, a Land Rover, and drove around the whole of the UK, um, and I slept on the roof of the Land Rover in all these locations and, and campgrounds and on the, on the beach and stuff. And um, I would do foraging and then bring those ingredients into the bar and talk about um, the wild flavors and, and making a different style of cocktail. And um, that I found um, incredible engagement and excitement around that. Instead of just talking about whiskey, 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 and um, by bringing in, connecting the dots, you know, the Talisker Isle of Skye, beautiful, wild, rugged, remote location. Um, bringing that nature into your bar so that people can experience that on their bar stool. Um, had, a, had an amazing result. Um, it was a great program, won some awards with it. Um, and yeah, it's um, knowing your market and finding a way to excite them and engage them and, and just make sure you tick off your, your key points that you want to get across. Yeah, awesome. Wicked that uh, that specifically the the Talisker tour sound looked amazing. The uh, yeah, it was really really cool to to kind of watch the tour go around and 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 watch how you were engaging with so many different so many different markets as well. It must have been crazy to see different towns that you'd never seen, you know, and and be able to talk to them about how the product worked. Yeah, that was that was the cool. So I would um, I'd wake up in the morning on the roof of the Land Rover, pack it down. <laughs> Um, I had to cook, cook up some coffee on a camp stove and make some breakfast, drive to the next town, load all my kit into the bar, host the training for the bartenders, uh, put some drinks on for them. Then I would generally pack up, drive to the next campsite. Uh, I was doing consumer tastings and events as well. Um, so it was a, definitely, a, and I did that for 20 days on the road. 
uh, 18 cities. So it was really engaging and I built this, it was like it snowballed. People, the more I you know, developed it, the more people got on board. Um, the plan was, I would have been doing it in April this year, but COVID killed the tour. Um, so I'm now working on the plan for next year. Uh, we'll go ahead April, May, hopefully bigger and better than, than before and take it to a new level. Awesome, ma'am. That sounds epic. I wonder if I could get that across the line in my job. <laughs> you could do a Talisker tour, Talisker foraging tour in New Zealand, man. It'd be great. Just be all seaweed. I'll just ask my boss if I can have a roof camper to, <laughs> to go around New Zealand. Um, terrible to drive, right? Really yeah. uncomfortable, I heard. I mean, I quite liked it. I, I've <laughs> driven a few things like that or worse than that in the past. So. Yeah. It's all part of the adventure. I had the dog on tour for half of it. But you're saying that, Laurie, um, this tour was quite, in a way, groundbreaking within Diageo. No one had ever done anything quite like that before. Um, and the reason I got it across the line was what I put in the, the pre-planning, the pre-work. I created this big presentation deck and talked about what it was going to deliver. And, and a lot of... BAs or bartenders will get these amazing, crazy ideas and go, yeah, let's do this and do that and do this. But unless you weigh it up and break it down and give the people with the money, essentially, or the people at the top, the, the answers they need, they're probably going to say no. <laughs> um, so, but if you put that hard work in and, and, and give them, you know, five amazing reasons why it should go ahead, then you'll often get the backing you need. Yeah, that's something definitely have learned in corporate. Just <laughs> for the hard work in yeah, the hard yeah, work. I know. I'll start building a deck tomorrow. I'll show you guys. <laughs> um, I, I do have one little question to kind of, you know, obviously these plans have been cancelled through COVID. The coastal tour is not going ahead this year. Hopefully next year, fingers crossed. Um, and, and we've already touched upon a little bit about how the industry has been hit quite dramatically. Um, and even from a personal point of view, you know, it's you've had to go through quite a long and extensive lockdown. I mean, we've all gone through lockdowns, but the rest of the world is taking a lot longer to open up and perhaps there's more uncertainty. Um, one of the big reasons we put this podcast together was because we wanted to kind of help people learn from people who have gone through things or had some, you know, like, or um, I guess see that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. So we're going to get through this somehow um, to talk about this. So I guess the topic to put it, briefly is resilience, right? And as someone who's worked in the industry for 23 years, you would have had to overcome so many struggles and so many challenges. Um, what's, you know, is there a particular challenge that you faced or is there something that you do to kind of help yourself work through these tough times that we could give as advice to anyone else in the industry who's struggling right now with the uncertainty? Yeah, that that's a really good question. I think it's really, you know, really appropriate right now. Um, yeah, and, and uh, you know, there's a there's a stronger movement now around um, well, healthy hospitality and uh, and uh, mental health and and whatnot. And I think I was it was definitely not on my radar um, over over the majority of my career, um, and so I'm maybe not the best one to ask. Um, I have definitely. At times, you know, lived lived my job and, and worked 
too hard and, and put other elements of life to the side. Um, but now I don't regret that, but um, nowadays I find it's, as I'm older, I'm turning 40 this year, um, I find it's really important to have a balance, to find a balance and to have some, some activities that stimulate you mentally, physically. Um, you know, it, it really is important. Um, last year, I had a bit of a health scare, went into hospital, had um, uh, an operation. I was in hospital for about five weeks. Um, I've got sort of got the scars to, to show it. Um, and it really put things in perspective for me that, you know, it's so important to have a life outside of work, have your outside hobbies. Um, but health and fitness, eat, eat well. Um, I, my diet since then has, has improved hugely. Um, and in my hospitality days, particularly my diet was pretty atrocious, you know, sometimes one meal a day or two meals a day, often fast food. Um, so, you know, I think your, your well-being comes a lot from your diet. So it's important to, you know, if you can pre, pre-pack or pre-make quality food, instead of binging on junk, um, I think that can definitely help. But yeah, look, look after yourself. Um, yeah. And, and have, have those hobbies and try and get out there and, and, and uh, have your own time and, and enjoyment is, is very important. What's one of your favorite hobbies? Or what are your, <laughs> what are your hobbies? Tell us your hobbies. <laughs> Don't you like mountain biking? Something about mountain biking. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> it's funny you say that. Talking about healthy hobbies. So well, this is, I showed you guys earlier. This is my results of my hobby. <laughs> Literally did that uh, on oh. Saturday. So this, this arm's not working uh, at the moment. Um, I love mountain biking, uh, particularly dirt jumping. So um, I try and get out on the weekends and go riding. Um, that might have to tone down a bit now. So, yeah, going to the beach with, with the wife and the dog, um, walking, hiking. Um, and actually over COVID, I've really got into gardening. And um, I've got a wicked veggie patch now. Um, we're eating greens produce from the garden and every single meal at the moment yes. um been a good learning process and that's a great one it's, it's uh, i know it can be tricky with with the hours that you work um but actually for a bartender if you were to get up like my routine at the moment is get up I st- i'm still a bit of a night owl so i still don't get up as early as i should um have have my coffee go out into the garden look at the garden give it a good watering for the day and then it's done, um, and then it come dinner time. Then I'm reaping the harvest. It's it is actually really easy, and I I really recommend um, the. It's been great for for me mentally, particularly having that garden, um, and then also for my for my health, eating all these amazing um, vegetables, produce from the yeah. garden. Yeah, our garden game definitely stepped up over COVID too. I've got worm farm everything, whole shebang. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Research worm farms at the moment. That's that's my next step. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, cool, man. Thank you so much. It's been like pretty insightful to hear. Um, we've just got like a couple more questions just to kind of round things off. Um, Some quick fire ones. Th- yeah. Is is there a change that you would like to see uh, in the industry, both in New Zealand and abroad? 
Yeah, I was thinking about this one earlier, and it's uh, it's a really tough one. Um, I would I would no, I would like to see more bartenders doing more attending more trainings and doing more to progress themselves. Um, you know, I think a lot of brands we we work hard to put these amazing sessions together, and I think sometimes. Well, I don't know necessarily about New Zealand now, but over here, you're often spoiled. There's so many things to choose from. Um, and it surprised me how the numbers can be often quite low. Um, whereas, it, you know, it's free learning. Learning is knowledge. If people, bartenders, I recommend, attend these sessions and use that knowledge to develop yourself. It's going to, you know, help you and, and your career. I guess that's that changes in the industry. I don't know if that quite answers it, but, you know, I think New Zealand has, has an amazing industry. I love the, the industry for its community. So, you know, it's great to, to join you guys on, on this sort of session. Um, but, yeah, spend more time with your bartenders, support each other, um, and, um, you know, help lift the industry as a whole together. Awesome. I nice. love it. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well, you basically just covered my my question, but what do you love most about the industry? What's the one thing that you like you, that defines what you love about this industry? Uh, drinking whiskey. <laughs> outside of that, <laughs> um, outside of that is definitely the community. <laughs> yeah, the people that we work with, the people in the industry, is is amazing. Is amazing. Like. I'm a, I probably, it's weird, I don't, don't have many friends outside of work or past work. All, all my, my network and friends are all from this amazing industry that we work in. Uh, so many cool personalities, characters and people. And um, it's generally really positive as well with so much negativity in the world. You know, as bar, bar industry, it's generally around let's make nice drinks, have a good time and, and show people a good time. So I think it's one of the coolest industries in the world. It can be a bit toxic at time with uh, the hours, the diet, the you know yeah late nights and and stuff. But um, it's the the that time with people is really really special. I love that. Awesome. Totally. And the other stuff can change. You know, we're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> we're working on making it better. You, you can have a work life balance yeah, at some you point. Can. It yeah. happens. Totally. Um, which brings me really nicely to my last question for you today. Um, so I've got a pair of size. Oh, I've got nine, size nine feet. Um, Mikey, what's your size? I'm 11. He's 11. Gian, what's your size? I'm 10. Okay, cool. So um, how do we get our hands on Talisker branded hiking boots with the whiskey flask <laughs> attached to them? <laughs> uh, good one. Um... <laughs> You find out, let me know, because that, that was actually um, an activation before I started. Oh, and wow. um, the, they're all gone, essentially. There's, I got oh. one. I had to buy my set from um, eBay. Oh. And um, it's the only ones I could find, and they're too small for me. So I don't, e I don't even have a set. And actually... Yeah, I know a guy. <laughs> too small for all of you guys, actually. So um, I'm a size... <laughs> and these are size seven, so oh, okay. I'll make them work. <laughs> <laughs> you could turn them into jandals. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Yeah, those are really cool. And we've got some, um, I, I released these uh, Talisker backpacks last year and we've got some more cool things for the future, but sadly can't help you out there. That's heartbreaking. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for the chat. I mean, it's not only awesome to see you from the other side of the world, but also to have so much great insight, 23 years of understanding throughout. <laughs> it's crazy, um, but it's just so awesome to have have this chat with you. Um, if you guys are out there, make sure you jump on and um, purchase the the art of craft of, of the cocktails, art of craft, art and craft of coffee cocktails. <laughs> which is Lucy's book. How about pull it up? Um, and uh, yeah, jump on eBay, Amazon, everywhere. It's, it's a great book. Um, and yeah, make sure if you've got any more questions for us, uh, either hit us up or hit JC up directly. He's happy to answer questions. He told us. <laughs> yeah, as I say, I, I love I love supporting bartenders and that. So hit me up at Drinks Geek on Instagram is always um, uh, a good way to connect. Um, hopefully, um, I mean, we were actually planning to come out to New Zealand in December, January, um, just for purely for a holiday. Uh, that's all paused for now with COVID, but um, hopefully, 2021 will be out there for at least for a few weeks and. I just want to come and yeah, we'll connect, reconnect with all you guys, obviously, but get into this, the scene, check out the different bars, see and cafes, see how it's developed. Um, I miss it so much. So um, yeah, look forward to just being out there and seeing you all soon. We'd love, love to, to have, have you, bro. Yeah, and and make sure you work on that Talisker hiking boot boot pitch. <laughs> I'll definitely uh, bring Talisker. That's for sure. So we'll, we'll be having drams. Amazing. Good. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been awesome chatting. Um, and yeah, I think all of us are super stoked to hear about your wisdom and your experience. And um, yeah, thank you so much. My my pleasure. And thanks, God. You're, um, thanks for all your work and the work you're doing there in New Zealand is amazing. Keeping, you know, um, the passion alive and, and, and sharing that with other bartenders is really special. So well done, guys. Thank you. All right. Ooh, Cheers, everyone. brother.